as we come to this last Sunday of 2023 and also this last day of this year, I want to ask you a very straightforward question. And that question is, did you live a life of total commitment in 2023? I didn't ask you if you lived a perfect life because none of us have. I didn't ask you if you lived life because if you hear, you have. I want to know that if you examine your life and you look at your life as a whole with regards to 2023, can you say, that you were sold out to God. The end of the year is a, a good time to evaluate our lives, to look back on how we have lived. And sometimes people do that in a number of different ways and look at a number of different areas. But it's always good to do that spiritually, to look back. But not only to take stock of our life, in the past, but it's good to do it so that it can help us with living life in the future. I want us to recognize today that I don't want us simply to look back for that purpose, but I want us to look back for the purpose that we will look forward, and that we will be intent on pleasing God and living a life that glorifies God. And I trust that God in his marvelous grace will use this sermon in your life and in my life. That he will use this sermon to help us evaluate how we lived in 2023. And that he will use this sermon to challenge us to point out how we need to live in 2024. So let me turn your attention to Joshua 24 and particularly to the two verses that I just read for you. Joshua is addressing the nation of Israel. And Joshua is following the leadership of Moses. He has some big shoes to fill. Moses has died, but God hasn't died. And Joshua hasn't died. And God has given Joshua the responsibility to lead the nation of Israel. God uses Joshua to help the nation of Israel enter into the promised land. God used Joshua to help the nation of Israel to possess the promised land. And now that they're in the promised land, now that they possess the promised land, Joshua takes the time to gather all of the people together, the whole nation. He gathers them together, and he wants to talk to them. He wants to address them. And that begins in verse 1 of chapter 24. And when we read that verse and when we look at it, we see Joshua beginning to speak to the nation of Israel, but an amazing thing happens. As he begins to speak, it's as if God takes the microphone, the megaphone, and speaks through Joshua. And so even though Joshua is speaking to the nation of Israel, 
It's God who is also speaking to the nation of Israel. And God wants his people to know that he wants them to live a life of total commitment. He wants them to live a life where they are sold out for him. And you can't miss that when you look at these two verses. But even equally important, God wants you. God wants me to live a life of total commitment. That's what pleases him. That's what honors him. And again, I've already said it. That doesn't mean you live a perfect life because none of us are capable of that. But by God's grace and by God's enablement, God wants us to live the life that he has called us to. And so I want us to look at these two verses and answer the question. I want you to answer the question, did you live a life of total commitment in 2023? And before you answer that question, I think there are four related questions that we need to look at. And the first question that we need to look at is, did you remember? Did you remember the reasonableness of living a life of total commitment? A life sold out to God is reasonable, it's rational, it's logical, it makes sense. Don't ever forget that. It's reasonable. Yes, God commands us to live that kind of life, but before we get to the command, God just wants you to know, wants me to know that it's reasonable. It makes sense for his children to give their all and all to him, to be sold out to him. And we learn this through two words, now, therefore, that begins verse 14. And those two words, particularly therefore, takes us back to verses 1 through 13. And when we look at those verses, God basically gives his children a history lesson. And I want to make a play on the word history, because the word history reminds us that it is his story. It is God's story. And God says to the nation of Israel, I want to reflect upon what I have done for you. And he takes them all the way back. He, he takes them back to the time of Abraham, but even before that, to Abraham's father. And, and he points out to them that Abraham's father used to serve other gods when he was on the other side of the river, Euphrates. And God continues his story. And he tells them, that I dealt with your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he tells them how you were once in Egyptian bondage, but I set you free. I enabled you to cross the Red Sea. And he goes on to tell them how I, I brought you into this land. I fought victories and, and battles for you. And, and God goes on to say in verse 13, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built. 
and you have lived on them. You are eating a vineyard and olive groves which you did not plant. And when you look back at God's story, what he's done for Israel, the, the word that keeps popping up, it's the smallest word in the English language. It's the word I. And it occurs some 17 times in these verses because God wants to impress upon the nation of Israel the, the fact that you are in the promised land, the fact that you have this land, these cities, etc. It's not because of what you have done, but it's because of what I have done. And so when you read those verses, God says, I took, I gave, I sent, I played, I brought, I did, I delivered. God says, I did it, Israel. And you want to know why you should live a life of total commitment? God says, it's because of my grace and my kindness, my goodness to you. Israel, think about where you once were. How you come from a people that serve other gods. But God says, I've brought you this far. I've been good to you. I've been kind to you. That's why it's reasonable to live a life of total commitment. It's reasonable because of what God has done for us. And the wonderful thing, if you're a Christian, if you have repented of your sins, and you have put your faith in Christ alone for salvation, and God has saved you, th then you really have a story. It's a rags to riches story. And, and it's spoken of in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul begins by telling us that we used to be dead in trespasses and sin. That's our beginning, coming into this world, born into this world. By nature, a sinner. By choice, a sinner. And as a result of that, dead. No life spiritually at all. Dead in the realm of trespasses and sin. But God. Amen? But God. Being rich in mercy and because of his great love toward us, what did he do? He made us alive spiritually, and he raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with Christ in the heavenly, so that in the ages to come, when we get to heaven, we will be trophies of the grace of God. That's what Christ has done for the believer, and that's why it's reasonable, it's rational, it makes sense for the Christian to live a life of total commitment. Did you remember the reasonableness of living a life of total commitment as you lived in 2023? There's another question that I want us to consider. And that is, did you realize the meaning of living a life of total commitment? You can't sell out to God if you don't know what that means. A life of total commitment, sold out to God, completely His. Those are just not just nice sounding words. 
Those words mean something. When we come to the latter part of verse 20, of verse 14, Joshua gets to the nitty gritty of what it means to live a life of total commitment. He, he gives the people of God four commands. And these four commands summarize what it means to be sold out to God. And what are the four commands? They're there. It's fear the Lord. Serve him. Put away the gods. Serve the Lord. And if you're listening and looking, two of those commands are the same. Joshua says, serve him, serve the Lord. And that word serve is crucial and important because it's used seven times in these two verses. And it's used 18 times in this chapter. At the heart of living a life of total commitment is to serve God, to serve the Lord. Now, unfortunately, we hear that word serve the Lord, serve God, and we misunderstand it. We don't quite get what Joshua is saying. Most of us hear that word serve, and we think it means that we are to do things for God. That I need to consume my life with doing things for God. Many of us look at it from the eyes of Mary. You know, Mary had a little lamb was given her to keep. And then she joined the Baptist church and it died for lack of sleep. Some of us, that's what we think of. Serve me. I got to do everything at the church. Any opportunity, I got to do it. And we have a wrong idea about this word. If we just think that Joshua is saying do things for God, then we're missing it. To, to serve God means that you are walking with God. It means also that you are working for God. But it also means that you worship God. If you want a complete picture of what Joshua is commanding and demanding of his uh, these people, he's saying you are to walk with God, you are to work for God, and you are to worship God. And he said, you got to do that in sincerity and truth. That is, you got to do it in your inner being. It can't just be external. You see, there are Christians who are willing to serve God in the sense of doing something for him. And anytime you ask them to do something for God at the church, they're willing to do it. Because they think if I do that, then I'm living a life of total commitment. So when it's their time to do this or do that, they show up, they do. But when it's not time to do this or that, when it just comes to worshiping and walking with God, etc., they're last. They think that as long as I do something for God, then that means I'm sold out and committed to God. And that's taking a very narrow view of this word serve. It means to walk with God. 
It means that hand in hand, I'm walking and enjoying God in my day-to-day life. It means that I'm worshiping God. So that Sunday morning when the church has corporate worship, that's a priority for me. It means that, yes, I am working for God. But I'm working for God out of this idea that I'm walking with him and I worship him. And Joshua said, serve the Lord. Serve him in sincerity. Make sure it's real and authentic and in truth. Make sure that you are faithful. But that's not the whole picture. The the whole picture is not simply serve the Lord. That's crucial. That's important. That's at the heart of living a life of total commitment. But if you look carefully at the text, in the last part of verse 14, each time that Joshua says serve the Lord, he prefaces that with another command. And so in the middle part of verse 14, he says, fear the Lord and serve him. There's an associated command with serving God. As we walk with God, as we worship God, as we work for God, it's important, it's crucial that we understand that I'm also commanded to fear the Lord. Joshua said, fear the Lord and serve him. And so I cannot Fulfill my commitment of living in a life of total devotion to God unless I possess an attitude of fearing God. And you look at the Old Testament. I shared this when we were going through this idea of fearing the Lord on Wednesday night. When you look at the Old Testament, that was the fundamental attitude of an Old Testament believer. What was it that God required of Old Testament saints? Deuteronomy 10, 12 says to fear the Lord and serve him. We hear that word fear. We become afraid of it. Because some of us were raised by parents, uncles and aunts, guardians, who would tell us, you don't get it together. I'm going to put the fear of the Lord in you. I know you modern day parents, you don't dare say anything like that. But some of us, that's how we were raised. That's what we heard. But that's a warped view of the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord means that you respect God, you reverence God. To fear the Lord means that you're in awe of God. A-W-E. You're in awe of God. You you understand that the Bible is right and accurate when it says that God is a great and an awesome God. The, The person who fears the Lord is in awe of God. When they think about who God is, when they think about what God has done, it takes their breath away. They stepped back and said, God, you are awesome. You are great. You are magnificent. You are wonderful. And so when you fear the Lord, you respect, reverence God. You are in awe of God. But there's also a sense in which you are afraid of God. You're scared of God in a godly sense. 
Not, not afraid to talk with God. Not afraid to walk with God. But you do understand that you can't live your life fooling around and playing with God. Where you act like it doesn't matter how you live. The right of Hebrews talks about the fact it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yes, we can approach God. We can climb up into his lap and talk to him face to face. We can receive grace and mercy from him. But we've got to be careful that we don't have a light view of God. That we don't trivialize God. That we don't shrink God to an insignificant individual. And so the, the writer here, Joshua, when he commands these people to live a life of total commitment, he says, don't just serve him, but fear the Lord and serve him. But then there's another associated command. The second time that he says, fear the Lord, he says, put away the gods. Put away the gods and serve him. He's dealing with our affections. He knows there are things that attract our attention and our affections and our desires. And Joshua is saying, if you're going to live a life of total commitment, there must be an abandonment of the gods, the false gods. Who would have ever thunk that as God worked in the lives of these people, as he took them from nowhere and brought them into the promised land and gave them, gave them cities and land that they didn't work for or earn or deserve, who would have ever thought that the people were still playing around, some of them, with false gods? If you had looked at them, you would have said, here are people who worship God. Here are people who love God. But God knows our hearts. And God knew the hearts of his people. And he says to them, put away the gods. You might be able to fool Joshua. You might be able to fool others, your leaders, but you cannot fool God. And God said, if you're going to sell out to me, if you're going to give your all in all to me and live for me, you have to deal with your affections. You have to have make sure that you have affections only for me. Put away the gods. Which gods? The gods that your father served beyond the river. He knows their history. We read the history of Israel and we don't see these details. But if you read scripture close enough, there are different times that it speaks of God's people, some of them, playing around Toying with false gods. 
And even Ezekiel, much later, writes about the idols of Egypt. Idols of Egypt. God delivering them, the nation of Israel, out of Egyptian bondage. Bringing them into the wilderness and ultimately into the promised land. And here they are, some of them, still holding on to, still clutching the gods of Egypt. And God said, put them away. That's what he told him. And guess what? He's telling you and me as Christians the same thing. He's saying to us as Christians, put away your gods. You, you might be thinking that you are fooling others and you might be getting away with that, but God knows the idols of your heart. God knows what you bow down and worship in your heart. And God is saying in our sophisticated society, in our society with the latest technology, etc., that you and I can still have old fashion idols. Not idols that we put necessarily in our house, not idols that we put on our car, but idols that are in our heart, that we bow down to, and that we worship. It could be the idol of sex. It can be the idol of materialism. It can be the idol of sports. It can be the idol of me, myself, and I. The unholy trinity. Me. Some of us worship ourselves. We follow the dictates of ourselves. It can be the idol of money, pleasure, even relationships. And God is saying, if you're going to live a life of total commitment, if you lived a life of total commitment in 2023, then you have put away the gods. And that becomes a battle for us Christians. That becomes a struggle. I, I cannot tell you that if you do it once, that the idols are gone, but we have to war against sin. We have to kill sin in our life. We have to crush the idols of our heart if we're going to live a life of total commitment. Here's another question that I want us to consider. If we're going to properly answer this question, did we live a life of total commitment in 2023? And that question is, did you recognize the stupidity of not living a life of total commitment? As you look back on your life in 2023, did you realize how foolish, how asinine it is not to live a life of total commitment? This is not my assessment. I'm not trying to get on your case or my case. But this is the assessment of Joshua in verse 15 when he's talking to these people. He wants them to realize that living a life of total commitment 
that if you reject that, it is absolutely foolish. And so when we come to the first part of verse 15, Joshua feels that there might be some who are listening to his word. He can't buy in to what he's saying. And there might be even some here. For one reason or the other, you profess to be a Christian. You profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But you've heard the demands. Fear the Lord, serve him. Put away the God and serve him. And you're saying to you, that that's just a little bit too much. That that's going too far. I don't mind it be mind being a Christian, but let's not get fanatical. Now, I don't mind coming on Sunday most of the time, and maybe even on Wednesday. But let's not get carried away. Are you telling me that I need to be a 24-7 servant of God? Are you telling me that I need to be at God's disposal at every moment in our life? You could be thinking that you don't mind having Christ in your life. You just don't want Christ to take over your life. You don't mind adding Jesus to your life. But you don't want to bow the knee to him. And Joshua suspects that there could be some who are listening to him who are in that category. And so he says to them in verse 15, and if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, if it's evil in your sight to serve the Lord, if it's disagreeable, if you can't really handle the term of serving God, if you're saying that's too much, I'm not interested in all of that. I want God in my life, but I don't want him to take over my life. Joshua says, if it is disagreeable, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord. He said, if that's the case. Then, what I want you to do is choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. That's what is known as the famous choice. And you have people who have plaques in their house that says, choose you this day whom you will serve. You got people who have that on their Bumper stickers on their cars choose you today whom you will serve. But it's the great choice that is properly, if not properly understood. So when Joshua said, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, when he says that, he's not saying choose between God and false God. No, he's saying to those who have come to the conclusion that it is disagreeable in their eyes to serve the Lord. They come to that point that they can't handle living a radical Christian life. 
They say, no, I'm not willing to give God my all in all. I'm not willing to be totally devoted to him. It's disagreeable in my eyes to serve the Lord. Joshua says to those people, to those individuals who have said, I will not serve the Lord fully and totally and completely. Joshua says, then choose who you will serve. And the choice is not between God and false God. The choice is between only false God. You see, my friends, if you are saying that you will not live a life of total commitment, then God is saying, I'm not interested in sharing you. I'm not interested in having a part of you. So if you don't want to walk with me and worship me and work for me, then line up your gods. Line them up and choose whom you will serve. For these people, it could be the gods of Abraham's father. Or it could be the gods in Egypt. Or it could be the gods of the Amorites in whose land they are living. God says, line them up and come down one by one. Those of you who say it's disagreeable in my eyes to serve the God, serve God. It's disagreeable for me to make a total commitment to God. God says, come on down. Line up your false gods and choose which one you will serve and lead. A strong language. But God is trying to tell us. He's not into half-hearted commitment. He, he wants all of us. Or to put it this way, are none of us. I know that's an uncomfortable feeling, an idea. But, but it shows us. God is saying. If you don't choose me, then choose the false God that you will walk with, that you will worship, and that you will work for. Can you imagine God coming to you and saying to you that you don't want me? Go hog wild. I can cast that. That's not God. But the reason is put that way, that we might understand how stupid, how foolish, how insane it is to, to not live a life of total commitment. And so for the Christian, we have no choice than to choose to live a life of total commitment. Have you recognized how foolish and how stupid it is to not live a life of total commitment? Here's one last question that I want us to consider. And that is, did you reaffirm the choice to live a life of total commitment? You see, living a life of total commitment is not a one-time choice. 
not just something you do at the beginning of the year and you don't do it again. When you live a life of total commitment, you are reaffirming, you are saying over and over and over again that I choose to live such a life. And we learn that from Joshua. After Joshua telling him the foolishness, the stupidness of not living a life of total commitment. After him saying, God wants you to fear him and serve him and put away the God. And God says, I want you to do this based upon what I have done for you. Joshua doesn't wait for the response of the people. He, he says in the middle part of verse 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, I'm not interested in taking a vote and seeing who will serve the Lord or not. Joshua says, look, I am telling you. I am making a commitment. I'm selling out to God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was a personal commitment. Joshua is speaking on his behalf. He said, I don't care what the masses do. I don't care what others do. As for me, I will serve the Lord. It's not just a personal commitment. It's a family commitment. He says, as for me and my house. Now, we don't read anything about Mrs. Joshua or Joshua Jr. or Joshua. We don't read anything about him. And even if he didn't have a wife or kids, he, he had servants probably. But he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Does that guarantee that your house will follow the Lord? No. But as a father, as a leader, you have to take the lead. You have to say in the household that as the father of this house, we will serve the Lord. Your mindset can't be, I'll leave it up to my sweet little, I want to say devils, but I'll say darlings. I'll leave it up to them. Let them make the choice. My friend, they're going to choose sin. They're going to choose reject. You better lead and guide and direct. Joshua says, I'm going to serve the Lord. My house is going to serve the Lord. As long as you're in my house, going to serve the Lord. That's the direction. But it was a continual commitment. This was not the first time in Joshua's life that he says that he's going to serve the Lord. Joshua is ending, coming to the end of his life. He lived 110 years. So he's not saying, well, now I'm an old man. Now that I've wasted my life, I haven't done anything with it. Now I'm going to live a life of total commitment. No, this is a continual choice. You look back at Joshua's life. He served Moses. He went up, he went with Moses up to the uh, mountaintop. He led Israel. He fought battle. He repeatedly chose the Lord. In the words of a contemporary Christian song, he would be able to say, Lord, I choose you. In the world of many choices, in the call of many voices, I choose you again. When Joshua says, to the nation of Israel, 
That's when me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's just saying, Lord, I choose your people. And I hope that's what you've been doing throughout 2023, that you have been reaffirming the choice to live a life of total commitment. And I hope as we go into 2024, that God so allows us to do that, that we will say, Lord, I choose thee again. Now that we looked at these four questions, I'll ask you the question again. Did you live a life of total commitment in 2020? Now some of you can say you did. And when you look at the whole of your life, you were so out to God. You were his 24-7. And if that's the case, praise the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. That's what God would want. But some of you, in light of these questions, know that you cannot say that. That you have not lived a life of total commitment. That you fail to recognize the reason why you should live a life of total commitment. Or it could be that you are still struggling with the idols of the heart. You, you haven't put them away. You're still playing with them. You're still toying with them. And so, honestly, as you look at the Word of God and as you talk to God, you have to say, I have not lived a life of total commitment. And if that's the case, it's not over for you. What you need to do is confess your sins and go before God and tell Him that you have fallen short of what He wants for you. But regardless of whether we live a life of total commitment or not in 2023, as we face 2023, I hope we all understand what God wants for us. He wants us to sell out to Him, to serve Him, to fear Him, to put away the gods. To, to, to respond to his grace and his kindness and his mercy to us. And so 2023 might not have been all that you wanted it to be. But don't let that stop you from giving God your all in all. Let's pray. Father, we Thank you for your marvelous grace in allowing us to come to the end of 2023 to be a part of this last Sunday morning worship service. Your Father, it's clear how you want us to live. You want us to live a life of total commitment. And Father, even if we have not done that in 2023, May we resolve to do that in 2023. Move upon our hearts and help us to realize and to remember that it's reasonable for us to live a life of total commitment. Help us to realize the meaning of living such a life, that it means that we fear you, 
that we serve you and that we put away the gods. But Father, help us to see how utterly foolish it is not to live a life of total commitment. That you're not willing to share us. That you're willing to say that if we won't live our life for you, then we are to pick the false God that we will follow and worship. We know that's not your desire for us. We know that you have entered into relationship with us, that we might have you exclusively and not share you at all. And Father, this commitment to live a life of total commitment, we're faced with that choice once again. And Father, I pray that as your people, that once again we will say that we choose to live completely and totally in But for those, Father, who are not able to do that because they're dead and they're trespassing sins, may that today be the day of salvation. And Father, thank you for the privilege of living for you. And we can't do this in our own strength and in our own power. You've given us grace and enablement, and you've given us the Holy Spirit, whereby we can flesh out and live out what it means to be sold out to you. To help us not to rely upon ourselves, but to rely upon you and your power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.